Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Good morning, everybody. How are you this morning? Good, good, all right. Thank you for your muted level of enthusiasm. That's great. No, you don't need to applaud. Nothing to applaud for. Uh, my name is Dean. I'm uh, the executive director of the Mustard Seed here in town. I'm your guest speaker this morning, although I've been here so often, they don't even introduce me anymore. Uh, it's, it's come to that, you know. That guy's preaching again. So... Uh, Probably don't even tell you that I'm coming, right? Because then none of you'd be here. That would be the. Um, so uh, yeah, I've been I've been asked to preach on or speak on comfort one another. I, as we we're singing, I was thinking about the fact that this is really relative to people that are kind of going through a very dark place. Um, so like, if you're an Edmonton Elks fan, this might apply to you. Uh, if you're a Calgary Flames fan, this definitely applies to you. And so, but like, like seriously, like this is, uh, you know, this might have been, this might come across a little heavier than I intended when I wrote it. Because let's face it, we all, we all need comfort in different circumstances. And sometimes that comfort is over something that, that in the big scheme of things might be trivial. Um, but yet in that moment, that's what we need. And sometimes it's, it's not trivial. Uh, it's life impactful. So I, I, I hope you can move this from the life impactful to even the trivial because sometimes just even in the small things we need someone to come alongside you so with that qualifier um, let me tell you my favorite comfort story which may not be um, nearly as amusing to all of you as it was to me at the time so my my mom again this starts a little dark <laughs> uh, my mom uh about three years ago, um, actually it'd be four years ago now, uh, she was diagnosed with a, a brain tumor that would take her life 11 months later. And so it's about Thanksgiving 2017, and uh, she's just in the hospital for the first time. They're running all the tests. They're figuring out what's wrong. And so they, they uh, my parents lived in Medicine Hat. We're in the Calgary hospital, and she has her hotel room for the night. And I was actually very grateful that my whole... Uh, family, my brother, my dad, my aunt, my cousins all left. So it was just me and my mom for about an hour, an hour and a half. And I was sitting on, beside her on her bed, like, yeah, like we're sitting on the edge of her bed. And uh, she's in a double occupancy room. And the area that she was in, just because that, that's what they had, was for people that uh, were needing back surgery. And so even though it's not what my mom needed, that's where she was. So the lady in the in the room next to her was clearly in a lot of pain. So my mom says, I'll be right back, Dean. And she gets up and she goes around and I can hear her say to the woman, I can tell you're in a lot of pain. Um, can I pray for you? And the woman says, no. <laughs> and so my mom comes back and sits down and says, uh, well, I guess she... Uh, doesn't want prayer, so I won't be doing that then. And we talk a little bit more, and the woman is is still um, crying. She's in a lot of pain. 
So my mom says, I'm going to try again. So she gets up, goes around the corner, says, I can hear you're in a lot of pain still, and I know you don't want me to pray for you, but could I give you a hug? And a couple minutes later, my mom comes back and says, well, she doesn't want one of those either. (laughs) I leave. But an hour later, my dad gets a phone call in his hotel room. It's my mom. Elvin, there's this woman beside me, and she keeps crying, and she keeps making all of these noises because she's in pain. She doesn't want prayer. She doesn't want a hug. And now she's keeping me up. And and she she moved from being compassionate to this woman to just being livid at her because she needed to sleep and the woman beside her. And I thought, you know, that was just so my mom. It was like uh, I, she wanted to be compassionate. She wanted to be kind. But if someone was going to interrupt her night of sleep, it wasn't going to look so good. And, uh, you know, I, I just think of that story all the time when I think of comforting somebody. That it isn't just about our desire to comfort someone. It's about whether they're even willing to receive it, isn't it? It's about whether they will allow us to come into their life. Comfort comes in very strange ways. In my times of despair, I've found the comfort in words and actions that actually have seemed trivial at the time. At the time, I've also had things said to me that didn't help at all, maybe even hurt a little bit. I was recently with a grieving friend and someone else came over, hugged them, hugged my grieving friend, embraced them, and said, you got this, like a coach to an Olympian kind of thing. Then they laughed, and my friend said to me, well, that may have been well-attentioned, but was totally the wrong thing to say to me. Not comforted, not encouraged. And I do think that's a thing. We want to be the comforter, but we don't always know how. So how do we comfort one another? We all need it, so how do we do it? I think there's a few things we can learn from the Bible about this. The first thing is, is that we comfort one another by just simply being present. In Matthew 26, we read that Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is clearly in distress. This is the occasion where Jesus' humanity might be at its most authentic. The power of his divinity has not gone away, yet the plan of his self, uh, for the salvation of all of us requires him to submit to torture and death. And because of this... He is distraught. So he goes to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in doing so, he asks three friends to join him. And famously, um, perhaps because they lacked understanding, perhaps they had seen all the miracles that Jesus had done before and figured that nothing could really happen to him. He would just get himself out of this. Either way, famously, while Jesus asked them to keep watch, to pray with him, they fall asleep. And Jesus gets real upset at them. See, even Jesus required presence, community, solidarity, empathy in his time of great despair. What is the number one thing you can do to comfort somebody? I believe it is you can show up. You can be present. You can be available. And when you get there, be attentive be awake. The second thing that you can do to comfort somebody is just simply sit with them when you arrive. Jewish people have a custom called sitting shiva, 
And uh, this custom dates back to biblical times. And essentially after burial, burial, the immediate family sits in their home for seven days while others visit to mourn with them and to sit with them. Uh, they provide comfort to the grieving. It's about paying respects, but it's also the um, kind of to help transition the grieving family back into society. So it's like, we're going to give you this week and we will sit with you and be with you for this week. And then after that, we move back into normal life. Most of us want to do something when someone needs comforting. We want to bring a meal. Um, now we even like don't do that so much. We send a skip the dishes gift card. Uh, we want to do a task around the house to help out. You get the idea. And while these things are supportive and important, they aren't actually all that comforting. There's a difference. One provides support and help. Skip the dishes provides support and help. But it doesn't provide comfort. There is comfort in knowing that a community cares, but the real comfort comes when someone will just merely sit with you. And even at times to do so in silence. We are so uncomfortable with silence, aren't we? So uncomfortable. Yet there is something so incredibly profound by just sitting in silence. And when someone is hurting, our desire to talk just escalates and escalates and escalates. And the best thing you can do is say nothing. Because in the silence, it is them that will talk. Which is really what they want. I've just sat with a grieving friend who said some things that were very hard for him to say and very hard for me to hear, but they were part of his grief. And I said nothing in response. And we had about a three, four minute quiet time. And you know what he said to me? Thank you for not talking. Because if you did, I know you'd say something stupid. He was right. To sit in silence with somebody. Consider the story of Job as an example. Job has lost everything and is deeply confused. His three friends show up and do not talk for the first seven days and nights. Seven days and seven nights of sitting in silence with someone who is grieving. They mourn. Now after that seven days and seven nights, it gets really wordy. They got lots to say. In fact, they debate Job on why things are the way they are, but their initial response was to sit, Shiva. We have lost our ability to sit in silence. To sit with someone is, and in and of itself, comfort. How do you provide comfort? Sit with someone and be quiet. The third thing we can do to provide comfort is to find the right words. In 1 Thessalonians, uh, Paul is addressing a major concern of the church. People are being persecuted for their faith. They are dying. Um, and keep in mind, while these are people of faith, it's a new faith structure found in Christ. And so they're, they're trying to move um, what they've always believed into this person in Jesus and asking questions about what does it mean now that we have Christ? And again, people are dying. People are being persecuted because they believe in Christ. 
So there's questions about eternity, there's questions about end of days, um, there's all of these questions about heaven and hell and these kinds of things. And much of these types of questions are being worked out in the community of faith. And, and there's angst, there's fear, there's anxiety. And so Paul addresses it head on and basically says, look, this is how it will all go down. And the crux of it is, if you have Jesus, you're good. And then he writes this in 1 Thessalonians 4.18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And with this, the anxiety of the church goes down. He finds the right words to comfort a group of people that are concerned about their eternal future. Now, a few things with this. Finding the right words is essential. The right words are not false, nor do they give false hope. Paul's words were encouraging because they were truthful. One of the biggest mistakes we make when we decide to comfort someone with our words is we say things that we want to be true, but won't necessarily become true. Examples, words like, it'll all be okay in the end. Sometimes we actually don't know that. I'm sure everything will work out. We like that phrase too. God only gives you what you can handle. Which is a twisting of what Paul is actually writing when he wrote that. Finding the right words is key. So key it's better to be silent than to say the wrong thing. But when you find the right words, they have such incredible meaning. I pray before I meet someone who needs comfort that God will give me the right words to say and prevent me from saying the wrong things. And I have so frequently said the wrong things. It's just better to be quiet. But when I feel that the Spirit of the Lord wants me to say something, I'll say it. And I ask him often to hold my tongue because I know what damage I can do by just saying the wrong thing. Here are a couple things I've learned. If somebody is in despair, if somebody's going through massive tragedy, don't ask them what happened. Don't ask them for details. Don't ask for the story. You already know the result. That's why you're there. If they want to share, they will share with you while you are silent but you don't know that you're the person with whom they want to talk to. So allow them to decide that, not you. Don't ask how they are doing. They are doing terrible. They are in pain. Those are the two things we often ask when we arrive. And I'm suggesting to you that it's better not to ask either. So while less words is always better, I think it's okay to ask a couple of questions. First question I ask is, how can I support you? That's different than what happened or how are you? But often it gets the same answer. The second question that you can always ask, especially if they're a person of faith, but even often when they're not a person of faith is simply, how can I pray for you? And that question opens up a whole conversation. 
Finding the right words is important. Saying the wrong words is very damaging. It's okay to be silent. And when the right words come, ask them. Empathize often, all the time. And it's important to follow their lead. If they're quiet, be quiet. If they're wanting to talk, talk. Find the right words. And while it seems like a Captain Obvious statement to say here, one of the things that we can do to pray or to comfort one another is to pray for one another. We comfort each other by praying for one another. One of the more curious things that I have found is the amount of times that somebody wants me to pray for them in the moment. The amount of the times people will say, I don't want you to pray for me here in this moment, but please pray for me when you get home. Or the amount of times I get a text later on that day saying, can you please pray for this? In other words, let them decide what prayer for them looks like, not you. And so often we'll arrive, you know, with this whole team and we're going to sit somebody down and we're going to pray for you in this moment. They may not want that at that time. <coughs> not COVID. Um, <laughs> there can be a spiritual intensity when we pray for someone that someone isn't able to receive in that moment. It's not that they don't want the prayer. They just need it to look a certain way for them. I'm privileged to work at a Christian organization, and because of this, it is common for us to pray for each other or to ask someone to pray for um, someone else. And it's so cool when a client asks us to pray for them. We have uh, an employment coach who uh, works for us. Uh, her name is Kimberly. And I asked her to uh, kind of briefly give me a description of what it means to pray for someone who doesn't have a job that has got um, difficulty finding a job and has come to us for help. And Kimberly said this, when Derek and Arneel, um, Arlene, sorry, two of our community participants, God convicted my heart to see beyond my judgment so I could see their potential and appreciate them and care for them as they are. My aunt taught me not to discard people still learning, try nurturing and patience instead, then love and care will develop. I applied that wisdom into my professional relationship with Derek and Arlene and merely planted a seed. First offering a quick prayer and simple prayers as we applied to positions, saying go with God before pushing that send button as we applied for a job. As replies came in for interviews, I would ask if I could keep it in prayer and share it with our team so that we could pray for them. Though once uncomfortable and hesitant to even mention um, God, now Derek and Arlene would gratefully accept that I could pray for them. It wasn't too long before they would start asking for prayer, bringing their prayer requests to me. The ripple effect of merely planting a seed bloomed into Derek, asking for and initiating prayer beyond his employment needs, and Arlene asking her peers to pray for her. Both Derek and Arlene are now employed and growing in their relationship with Christ. They came to us uninterested in God, only interested in their job. They've left us with Christ and employment. Prayer is comforting. Prayer is comforting. What does one pray for? 
Well, rather than praying for the problem to be resolved, because sometimes the problem cannot be resolved, perhaps we pray for the comforter to come and provide the shalom, the peace that the person needs. Perhaps we pray for ourselves to be the comfort that the individual needs in that moment. This isn't to dispense that we don't sometimes pray for a miracle. We always pray for a miracle. I prayed for a miracle for my mom up until her last days. But I prayed for her comfort and I prayed for my comfort and my dad's comfort as well. But my friend who has lost a child, I can't resolve that. There's no miracle. So you pray for comfort. You pray for their comfort and you pray that in some miraculous way that God will use you to give them comfort. The last thing that happens that I believe the Bible tells us is that we should comfort one another with laughter. We should comfort one another with laughter. Um, Ecclesiastes 3, 4, if you want to throw that up real quick, says this. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Notice the order. The timing on this is everything, but eventually joy needs to return. I've sat with people in deep mourning who have somehow ended up laughing in the midst of their pain. Even the story of my mom um, at the time of her cancer diagnosis, I remember the next day laughing with her and my dad about what she had done the night before. Joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. And after the morning, it comes. It doesn't mean you walk into a situation where comfort is required and, you know, tell your best stand-up routine. It's not about that. It's about when you sit with someone, when you're present, when you find the right words, when you've come with a heart of prayer, often in the most miraculous way, joy walks in. Joy walks in. Sit with someone long enough for joy to arrive. Sit with someone long enough that the morning is over and joy has returned. Be present with someone for those moments when it isn't just a time of pain, but it's a time of laughter. I thought about how to conclude this and I considered a story of trying to figure out um, something to say that would be profound or an illustration that I thought would be worthwhile. And instead, I'm going to read to you. And I'm going to read to you a famous passage of scripture. And as I do so, um, I think you should close your eyes, sit silently, feel the presence of God's spirit in you and around you. Know that ultimately it is God that is our comfort. And all comfort comes from him. This is Psalm 23. Yahweh is my shepherd. I lack nothing. In grassy meadows, he lets me lie. By tranquil sea streams, he leads me to restore my spirit. He guides me in the paths of saving justice as befits his name. Even were I to walk 
in a ravine as dark as death, I should fear no danger, for you are at my side. Your staff and your crook are there to soothe me. You prepare a table for me under the eyes of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup brims over. Kindness and faithful love pursue me every day of my life. And I will make my home in the house of Yahweh for all time to come. And I'm going to give you a moment to pray silently. For those that you know that need comfort. And for yourself, if you're the one that needs the great comforter to come. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.